Hello, you're listening to the September 2020 edition of Aeon's Retirement Market Update podcast. Hopefully that's what you're expecting to hear, but if not, why not stick around anyway? What's the worst that can happen? As usual, I'm your host, Ricky Marsh, and today we're going to be looking at how the objectives of trustees, companies and members might have changed over the last few months. So Matthew Ahrens and Ryan Cox will be along later on to talk about that. But first, it's time for this month's pensions news. It may have got a bit lost in the events of the last few months, but April marked five years since the introduction of new pension freedoms for members of DC schemes. The Work and Pensions Committee has now started a three-part inquiry into the impact of these pension freedoms and the protection of pension savers. The first part of this inquiry is looking at pension scams and what more can be done to prevent them. A committee are looking for input on nine key questions, but if you want to comment on this one, you'll need to be quite quick as the deadline's the 9th of September. The other two strands of the inquiry will probably follow next year, and they'll be focusing on accessing pension savings and saving for later life. On a related point, the PLSA has voiced some concerns about pension freedoms, in particular that the range of options is confusing and potentially leads to poor decision-making and poorer retirements. In light of this, they proposed a new regime that would require DC schemes to provide more support to members approaching retirement, including offering or signposting products that meet minimum quality standards. They're also looking for input on this proposal, but the deadline is even tighter here as this one closes on the 4th of September, with the final recommendations due to follow in October. If you've been following the progress of the Pension Schemes Bill, you'll already know that this introduces legislation to allow Collective Defined Contribution, or CDC schemes for short. The Treasury said that this would also need to be supported by new tax legislation, and HMRC has now published this in draft. The legislation should enable CDC schemes to operate in the same way as other UK registered pension schemes, and it's intended to remove issues like unauthorised payment charges that could arise for these schemes under the current rules. It also covers things like how benefits earned in CDC schemes would be measured against the annual allowance, and this is all expected to take effect from next April. A couple of months ago, I mentioned that the FCA had set out a package of new measures designed to address weaknesses in the DB transfer advice market. There's one particular aspect of this that's been causing some concern across the industry. So buried in one of the annexes, there's some wording that's intended to summarise the current position rather than introducing any new rules or guidance. However, as it stands, this wording suggests that trustees or employers who just write out to members with details of their options, like providing an illustrative transfer value quote, could be deemed to be giving financial advice or even an inducement to take a certain course of action. Now, this is just one paragraph out of a 92-page document, and there's nothing else in there that correlates with this, so the wording may not really reflect the FCA's true position. The new measures are still in the consultation phase at the moment, and industry bodies have written a joint letter highlighting their concerns, so hopefully the final guidance will revert to something more sensible, but we'll be keeping an eye on this in the meantime. The GMP Equalisation Working Group has published the next in its series of guidance documents. This one focuses on member communications for schemes that are in the early planning stages. So it includes a written Q&A that schemes can use for members together with a practical checklist. The guidance does note that in some cases the right approach might actually be to say nothing at all at this stage and wait until you're ready to implement before raising the issue with members. Further guidance on member communications for the implementation stage will follow at a later date. Just a quick reminder that the new requirements for trustees to produce implementation statements come into force from the 1st of October. As we mentioned before, these statements will need to describe how the trustees have followed the objectives and policies set out in their Statement of Investment Principles. 
The PLSA have recently published a handy guide on this, setting out what's required by when and some guidance on the content. So this is well worth a look for any schemes that are still wrestling with this subject. And finally, if you thought I was going to get through the whole news section without mentioning the pensions regulator once, I'm afraid you were wrong. TPR's published its latest annual funding analysis for DB and hybrid schemes, which is based on schemes with valuation dates in the year to the 21st of September 2018. A lot of the headlines have picked out the stat that shows around a third of schemes were in surplus, but it's worth noting that this analysis is looking at valuations with effective dates that are between two and three years ago. As we'll hear later, things may have moved on a lot since then. The other point worth noting here is that this surplus is being measured on a technical provisions basis, but TPR's focus is increasingly moving towards long-term funding objectives, with TPs just being a step along the way rather than a final destination. If you're looking for something a little bit more up-to-date, we've just published our own annual in-depth report on scheme funding. This analyzes completed valuations for Aon's clients with valuation dates up to July 2019, as well as looking ahead to valuations in 2020 and beyond. You can request a copy of this through our website and I'll include a link to that in the show notes. And if you'd like more information on this or any of this month's other news stories, I'll include contact details at the end. In some ways, it feels like the last six months have been an extended summer break, albeit one spent in the twilight zone rather than the Costa del Sol. As kids return to classrooms, it seems like a good time to take stock of where we are now and where we go from here. To talk about this, I've managed to rope in Ryan Cox from our Employer Covenant team and Matthew Ahrens, who's our Head of UK Retirement Policy. Matthew also has the dubious honour of being our first ever repeat guest. He was here for episode two back at the beginning of 2019, and he enjoyed himself so much that he's back today for episode 20. So Ryan, if we start with you, what have you seen over the last few months in terms of the impact on companies that sponsor pension schemes? Thanks, Ricky. Well, what a what a eight months it's been. Um, and we find ourselves and have been through quite an unprecedented situation this year. So, companies started the year normally in January and February, but quickly found the landscape changed dramatically right under their feet in in March. And I think the it's, it's easy to forget how much uncertainty there was in in January and February around the rapidly evolving global response from governments to COVID nineteen. And in March, we suddenly found that most companies weren't sure if they can even continue physically operating, and they all had to very rapidly redesign working practices to protect staff. And for most companies, that, that resulted in, in most employees like us working from home and, and still are. Now, as the government policy in terms of lockdowns and restrictions became clearer, it became apparent in, in May and June that the impact would very much vary by sector. Those sectors highest impacted, such as leisure, travel, retail, found their ability to trade almost cease overnight, with management then having to focus on, on quite an extreme form of cash preservation to reduce costs in almost all areas while they endured a period of, of greatly reduced income. Overnight, management suddenly found themselves in, in negotiations with banks to waive covenants and raise additional liquidity, with landlords and pension schemes to waive payments that were coming due, and probably a multitude of, of other creditors and stakeholders. Many companies also reduced or cancelled dividend payments. So while many of these businesses have actually now started to cautiously reopen in recent weeks and months, they're now facing a very difficult period of being weaned off government support, such as the job retention scheme. And many, especially in the manufacturing industries, are, are facing very large working capital outflows in the short term 
as they restart the business, which is further pressuring already short liquidity positions. And actually, what I, what I find really interesting over the last few months is that corporate insolvencies each month in the UK since March have actually been below the annual average. And this has been widely attributed to the, the extraordinary support that has been put in place by the government, but also by banks. However, it does raise an interesting question, what we're going to see in the insolvency space over the next few months and into next year as these measures are unwound. For industries already struggling from structural changes pre-COVID, this period or this year has been extremely tough. So industries such as high street retailers, where they're seeing trends being vastly accelerated towards online, um, and the way businesses were operated and management priorities are, are unlikely to ever revert back to where they were in January this year. On a more positive note, given that was a lot of bad news, there have been many industries that have experienced a much more measured impact. Um, so, for example, utilities, technology companies, the defence sector. The market dynamics for these firms haven't changed in a dramatic way and actually revenue and demand has held fairly steady. But management in the early days, back in March and April, when there wasn't a lot of visibility, did take significant steps to reduce costs where there was discretionary spend that could be limited. What we're seeing now is now there's better visibility. They're starting to consider how they can capture some of these cost savings in the longer term, but also whether there's any lessons that can be learned and if there's a more efficient way of working going forwards, given the experiences um, they've been through. And dare I say it, some companies are even looking to make the most of a crisis um, and implementing some policies that may have previously been put in the too difficult to do bucket. So I guess impact and management priorities are varied vastly by sector, but it's also worth bearing in mind that there's been quite differentiation within a sector, depending on a company's market positioning and actually the strength of its balance sheet and liquidity going into COVID-19. Thanks, Ryan. So, Matthew, if you move on to looking at the impact on pension schemes themselves, what have we seen in DB schemes, first of all? Well, in a nutshell, Ricky, the impact on DB has been just as diverse as Ryan outlined for companies. Why do I say this? Well, we've been monitoring the movement in the technical provisions position over 2020 for all of our clients on our risk analyzer tool. So that's about 200 of them. And what that shows is that there's been a significant dispersion in the experience with technical provisions funding level. The top quarter will have seen their funding levels improve between the 1st of January and the 30th of June, despite the impact of the pandemic. The middle half of pension schemes will have seen anywhere between no change to the funding level and a decline of up to about 5%. But the bottom quarter will have been more significantly impacted with a decline in funding levels of more and, and possibly substantially more than 5%. Now, although market conditions have improved somewhat since the worst part of the pandemic, this dispersion of outcomes remains. And that means that the experience of one scheme can be very different to that of the next. Thanks. And I'm, I'm conscious that we've already talked about the impact on DC schemes quite a lot over the last few months. But can you just give us a quick recap of what we've seen there as well? Sure. The impact on individuals' DC pots will be very specific to their investment strategy with potentially quite different outcomes depending on how much risk is being taken. But perhaps even more significant will be the time horizon available to 
adjust for and correct any setbacks. Younger DC members may actually be in a slightly better position in this regard as they have longer for investment returns to repair any damage. Older members might have been invested in lower risk assets so will have been more resilient to market movements. So in fact it may prove to be the case that it's the generation in the middle who were ultimately the most impacted. If they were running more investment risk and have a relatively constrained time horizon to correct any shortfalls. So in summary, the overall impact will depend very much on the circumstances of the individual. And this is before we come on to think about what, whether the current level of pension contributions are affordable either by that individual or their employer, or indeed whether they've been furloughed or even lost their job. So if we just try and pull all that together, we've got a range of employers who have been affected in different ways, depending largely on which sector they're in. Got a range of DB schemes that have seen different impacts on their funding position, largely depending on how their assets are invested. And then we've got a range of DC members where the impact really varies quite widely based on personal circumstances. Would you say that's a fair summary? That's quite right, Ricky. Yes. But perhaps even more important than the range of potential circumstances is that the situation for every company and pension scheme has changed from what it was in January. And that could well mean that whatever was the right plan in January may not be in September. All pension schemes need to reassess in light of current conditions. Let's stay with that thought then for a minute and talk about actions. What do you think trustees and company representatives should be doing next? I guess that's really for both of you, but Ryan, do you want to go first on that? Sure. So I'll take it from a covenant perspective. Uh, so I guess most trustees and companies will have had a really regular line of communication over the last few months. Both sides will want to have been kept informed of the impacts from COVID-19 and how they've been mitigating any and this should definitely continue going forward. So still a high amount of uncertainty going on. We don't know how bad the recession is going to be. And for many industries, trading still hasn't regained prior levels. So covenant monitoring for trustees is really important, but employers will also be really keen to understand what mitigating actions trustees are taking if they have been impacted from a funding perspective. We've been working during a period, actually, uh, say six months now, where there's been very little forward-looking information from a, a corporate perspective in terms of trading. But we're seeing now through discussions with companies, this is changing quite rapidly. Most companies now have prepared and updated one-year budgets, um, but most have also started looking at scenario planning uh, for further out to a two- or three-year horizon. So from a trustee perspective, we're encouraging them to get sight of some of these documents and forecasts and starting to consider whether it's an appropriate time to now start looking at reviewing covenant strength and affordability, especially if there's a valuation ongoing. The schemes and employers where visibility remains severely limited, so those in the industries particularly hard hit, such as retail and travel and leisure, what we're seeing trustees do at the moment is consider contingency planning. So they're asking themselves a number of what-if questions, essentially. What levers would they have at their disposal if the sponsor's covenant remains at a much lower level for longer, or in a worse case, continues to decline? As part of those sort of exercises and monitoring, I would also say it's really important that neither the trustees or the employers assume the other's priorities remain unchanged. And this picks up on something that Matthew just said. Um, for many companies, management's priorities and their business plans have changed radically since January. 
and the way they want to work with trustees could have changed as well. Bandwidths may now be a lot smaller for pension scheme matters or trustee matters. And some projects previously put in the too difficult box could now be up for review. So I think it's up to both sides to kind of refresh themselves on where each other stand and what their priorities now may be for the rest of the year and, and 2021. An additional action for some schemes as well who have alternate financing arrangements in place will be to review those. Um, so these are arrangements such as having secured charges over assets or contingent contribution mechanisms in place. Given the significant change in the company's circumstances and potentially any, any underlying asset prices, it's a good time to keep the ties and just check in on these arrangements and see if they need updating. And finally, for DC schemes, obviously there's been a lot of press articles in the financial news recently about companies potentially rationalising historic contractual terms and benefit structures and some companies even reducing DC contribution rates. So what I would say for DC schemes is just to make sure you're aware of any company policies or projects in this area and that you're prepared to respond if you need to. And Ryan's points about reassessing the current position and then monitoring for the future hold very much for the pension schemes themselves. Ryan's already mentioned DC contribution rates, but what about for DB schemes? Is the level of deficit contributions realistic for the future? What about projects that were put on hold when the pandemic first hit? For example, can member options and GMP equalisation projects now restart, given that we're all more accustomed to home working? And was the governance of the pension scheme sufficiently robust when the lockdown came? Are there different working practices or operating structures that could have been more resilient? And finally, where are the pension scheme members in all this? Is it time to communicate with members to update them on the situation? So to endorse Ryan's point, we think it's time now to revisit the business and operational plans for the pension scheme in light of the new world we're living in. And in this, it will be crucial for the trustees and company to work together to reset the action plan. And that may mean the trustees working harder than ever to understand the company's situation, both right now and the prospects for the future. For example, our experiences of talking to companies have shown that their objectives tend to align into a small number of possibilities, such as protecting people and assets or cost management, say. Through engaging with companies in these terms, I think it becomes easier for trustees and advisors to understand the company's objectives and then reflect them in the pension scheme. So to extend my example, if the employer's focus is on protecting people, that might suggest taking actions to communicate with pension scheme members to warn them about the risks of taking rash decisions on pensions and the dangers of pension scams. So to sum up, we encourage trustees and companies to assess the situation they're now in and share their revised objectives with each other so that there can be a common plan of action. Great. Well, hopefully that's helped our listeners to plan out the next few months. So thanks very much to both of you for joining me today. Thanks, Ricky. See you. Thanks, Ricky. It's been a pleasure. Right, that's everything for today. So thanks again to my guests, Matthew Ahrens and Ryan Cox. And thanks to you for listening, even if it was by accident. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget you can subscribe to the series through all the usual places, including the Apple Podcasts app and Spotify, so you never miss an episode. And if you'd like more information on our retirement solutions or you want to feature in a future podcast, you can contact me on ricky.marsh at aon.com. Otherwise, please visit our website or email talktous at aon.com.